Welcome to Challenging Silence, a podcast by Women's Health in Women's Hands Community Health Center. We are back again to have much needed discussions about topics related to female genital mutilation or cutting with survivors, advocates, and community members. We're your hosts, Tommy Lola and Sauda. Challenging Silence is brought to you by The Flourish Project, made possible through funding from Women in Gender Equality Canada. You can listen to this podcast series on all major podcast listening platforms and our website, flourishaccess.ca. Please note that this podcast covers topics of sensitive nature, including domestic abuse and violence. To ensure privacy and safety, some guests have chosen to remain anonymous. This podcast is age-appropriate for 16+. Media has a significant role to play in influencing the public and policy decisions related to FGMC. Understanding this role and holding media outlets accountable for responsible and informed reporting is critical for building a society that prioritizes the health and well-being of all individuals. In this episode, we are joined by Giselle Partinier, co-founder and board co-chair of the NFGM Canada Network which advocates for support for survivors and protocols for girls at risk in Canada and collaborates with FGM campaigners internationally. She is an award-winning Canadian journalist and documentary filmmaker with a focus on human rights, especially in the human rights of children and women. The documentary she produced and directed, most while she was working for the BBC based in the UK, have been screened around the world and have elevated the voices of local activists and helped them change minds, hearts, and even laws. Giselle's latest documentary, In the Name of Your Daughter, documents the journey of some of the bravest girls in the world, Tanzanian girls as young as eight who are risking their lives to escape female genital mutilation or cutting in child marriage. Her goal was to create a hopeful film about young African girls standing up for their human rights that could be used as a tool for change. Since its premiere in 2018, the multi-award winning film has been seen in more than 200 countries on television and at film festivals globally and resulted in a Tanzanian National Action Plan on FGMC and is still being used in the mobile screening campaigns in Tanzania and elsewhere. In October 2018, in Washington, along with the activists and survivors from four continents, she was awarded a Global Woman Peace Award for her work on FGMC. Welcome, Giselle, and we're so glad to have you here today to join us for this important discussion. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm delighted to be here. It's, it's so important to cast a light on this topic in Canada. So the first question is, as an experienced journalist, how do you perceive the media's role in shaping public perception of FGMC and what impact do you believe media coverage has on policy development and public attitudes towards this issue? So 
I think that the role of the media is absolutely pivotal, pivotal in increasing public understanding about all kinds of social issues and helping to shape public discourse. I have seen this personally in the past with documentaries that I have made. For example, I made a documentary in Pakistan about honor killings of women. And that documentary resulted in uh, the first legislation banning honor killings. I've seen the same in other countries. So I know it's the case. And as you mentioned just a second ago, and my documentary about female genital mutilation resulted in a national action plan in Tanzania. And that film also was shown in village screenings. And through that film, change is being made. So I've seen firsthand how media, in, in this case, a documentary, can impact society in a positive way. So I think, too, that sensitive coverage of female genital mutilation can influence policymakers in lots of different ways. Um, in Canada, I think this is now crucial because here we have a culture of silence and silencing in all spheres, government, civil society, and the media. Uh, and there are many places to point the finger about the silence. Government is silent, so the media doesn't report it. The media doesn't report it, so the government is quiet. As a result, civil society is confused about the issue. So we need information, we need to increase awareness, and we need to create change with through the media. Um, for example, if you want proof that media coverage can influence policy and public opinion on FGM slash C, we need only look at the United Kingdom. In England, in 2014, the Guardian newspaper started a deliberate, concerted media campaign to raise awareness on FGMC in the UK. They worked with other British campaign groups and wrote more than 100 articles, 118 articles to be precise, in just one year. In just one year, they wrote 118 articles. That's one article every three days. Imagine what that did to raise awareness. It really did, and it changed hearts and minds. And we can see how it influenced policy. Uh, for example, in one of their stories, they featured a young 17-year-old girl from the Somali community, Fama Mohammed. She started a petition to get the education minister to write a letter to every school principal in England, alerting them to the facts and the danger of FGM. That petition attracted nearly 250,000 signatures. And eventually, the education secretary sent the letter. That's just one example of change that is a direct result of media taking this important issue seriously. Thank you for highlighting such significant information about the power of using media and especially film to create change, especially in regards to law and um, society. I find it very stunning how one could use film just to change society. Thank you for sharing. Yes, I mean, just to go back to that documentary, in the first village screening where my documentary was shown under um, the village tree with hundreds of people there, including boys and girls, adults, children, the very next day, um, three girls came to the safe house that was featured in the film, and one of them was brought by her own older brother. So that's change in the making right there. That is such a powerful example of what media can do. Media courage is the voice for the voiceless. At times, not everybody has the loud voice to reach everybody. So when they have that media coverage, media backing, they have that support. They have no bounds. They have a far reach globally. 
My next question for you is what are some examples of positive and negative media coverage about female genital mutilation or cutting that you are aware of? And how have these portrayals influenced silence concerning the practice? How has it influenced public discussion, cultural norms, and the government responses to combat FGMC? Yeah, thank you. So I just talked about the Guardian media campaign in the United Kingdom, and their stories really are incredible examples of positive coverage and positive stories. Stories. Their campaign was very survivor-centered. It allowed women to share their stories in their own way. And they looked at numerous national and international angles. What drives FGMC? Why is it happening? Um, what are the best ways of ending it? Um, what are the needs of women in the UK? Are girls at risk? How can they be protected? And so on. So the relentless coverage, 118 stories in a period of, of a year, led to change, including a national um, FGM center, a helpline for girls at risk. Uh, it also resulted in, in increased foreign aid to fight FGMC abroad. Now, education on FGMC is mandatory in all secondary schools in England. Social services and health professionals are mandated to report cases of FGMC. So the effect, the direct effect of media coverage in the United Kingdom was huge. Now, when you want me to talk about negative coverage, I think the best thing I can talk about is the fact that we hardly have any coverage in Canada. Um, there is very little going on here. I have written myself a few stories. The Toronto Star back in 2017 did a number of excellent stories, but they weren't enough to affect change because they were two or three stories over a period of two or three weeks, and then we haven't really heard from them again. So it's the lack of coverage that I think is the most negative thing that I can talk about in the Canadian context, um, and we need that to change. So far, it's the advocacy of organizations like ours, the NFGM Canada Network, that has managed to affect some change. Um, I, I guess I do have one example of a story in Canada influencing change, and it relates to our campaign to ask cities and provinces across the country to proclaim International Day of Zero Tolerance for Female Genital Mutilation um, on February the 6th. And we started that campaign in 2020. And we managed to get quite a few cities across the country to proclaim that day, which is a, it's a UN proclaimed day in the same way that International Women's Day is. Um, one city, though, Regina in Saskatchewan, refused to proclaim the day. And uh, they called me from the mayor's office and they said, we understand you have asked us to issue a proclamation for female genital mutilation on the International Day of Zero Tolerance. Uh, but unfortunately, we cannot issue this proclamation. Uh, and the reason is that we can't be for or against this issue which you can imagine, I was completely flabbergasted because female genital mutilation slash cutting is seen as a human rights violation. It's seen as torture. It's seen as child abuse. It's seen as sexual violence. So it's not a case of being for or against it. There are laws against it. The United Nation has proclaimed it as torture, sexual violence, child abuse, and so on. So I really couldn't believe that they took this attitude. And so I did call the media and the story was 
was largely ignored across Canada, but it was picked up in Regina, in the Regina Leader Post. And they wrote about it, um, which was really fantastic because it helped us to, it helped us to, in a sense, help people understand that this is not a cultural issue, that it is first and foremost a human rights issue. So that story went out. And the following year, a year later, um, on International Day of Zero Tolerance for Female Genital Mutilation, I got a personal email from the mayor in Regina, and they were the first city in Canada a year later to proclaim February 6th as the International Day of Zero Tolerance for FGM. So, you know, to me, that again was quite a bit cause and effect. But by and large, it's our advocacy that is helping and other people's advocacy, of course, but I can only speak about what we're doing. Um, It's our advocacy that has helped make change. So an example of that is that we were trying to get our prime minister to make a statement on FGM slash C in 2021. And we wrote a letter to the prime minister's office and they wrote back and said, nothing to do with us, try global affairs. And then they said, no, try another ministry. They just didn't want to proclaim and make a statement. So we we launched a, a youth campaign on social media which ended with a uh, 10-year-old girl in Vancouver personally challenging the prime minister to make, to make a statement and to stand up for the rights of girls and women. And as a result of that, on February the 6th, I got an email from the, gov- from the government saying that they had just issued the statement. So it's clear that when we activate and advocate, we can make change. But honestly, the media did not pick up on our youth campaign to get this statement. Um, we have had a petition at NGM Canada asking our government to come up with a national action plan. It has almost 8,000 signatures on it, and nobody in the media has reported it. Uh, we sent numerous press releases to the media in Canada, and they don't act on it. You know, most notably, I was listening to a, a CBC program called As It Happens One Day when they were talking about the penis and how many stories and programs they had done about the penis. And so I thought, well, wait a second. I wonder how many stories they have done on female genitalia, on the clitoris, for example. And I found, of course, that they had never ever addressed this issue. So we sent them an email saying that the clitoris demands equal time. You know, we want you to do a story about the clitoris and female genital mutilation and this issue, which affects many, many thousands of women in Canada. And they did not even reply to our email. And that's kind of been the story of media coverage in Canada. Largely, there is very, very little. If you do a Google News search, for example, you can see that over the last 11 years, there have been 35 stories done on FGM, 35 stories in 11 years. You know, contrast that to The Guardian in the UK that wrote 118 stories in just one year. Thank you so much for pointing out those examples of the change that you've been trying to enact by pushing for media coverage surrounding FGMC truly shows your dedication to this advocacy work. And it is unfortunate when the media or even government organizations don't want to speak out about important topics that they consider, quote unquote, to be controversial or sensitive. And they don't want to, let's say, be involved in it because they don't want to upset anyone and they don't want their views to upset anyone. But as you've pointed out, it is important to to still speak about it. And lack of coverage equates to negative coverage because it's still foiling stigma surrounding FGMC because if 
people can't talk about it openly, but as you said, they can openly talk about the, the male genitalia, then we're still stigmatizing the female genitalia. So it is important that journalists are and filmmakers are aware and educated about the influence of negative coverage and the lack of coverage and how there should be equal opportunity in all things that we talk about in the media and especially when it comes to advocacy and activism. Thank you for that. Thank you. In your view, what responsibilities do media outlets and journalists have in reporting on FGMC and how can balance and informed coverage contribute to more effective policies and public awareness campaigns aimed at preventing and eradicating the practice? So the first thing I want to talk about here is all the stories that need to be done in Canada and that are being done. And specifically, very recently, the Canadian government issued very quietly and almost privately some statistics, which indicate that according to the uh, 2016 census, there are between 95,000 and 161,000 survivors or girls at risk of FGMC in Canada. So if we look at the higher number, 161,000, that's a huge number of girls and women that are either survivors or at risk of FGMC. And yet again, that story was not covered by the media. And the media will get uh, Statistics Canada's uh, reports on a daily basis. So every news desk in Canada will get those statistics. We'll have a look and see if there's anything interesting. And we've all heard the stories uh, about statistics that have just come out about you know, poverty, education levels and whatever. But this particular statistic was completely ignored yet again. And, you know, proves again the lack of coverage. Uh, I always make a comparison with patients that have Parkinson's disease in Canada. So the government estimates that there are 100,000 patients of Parkinson's in Canada. And when you look at the media coverage that Parkinson's get, it's huge. A quick Google search this morning showed that there are over 3,300 news stories over 16 pages on Google about Parkinson's disease in Canada, patients, research studies, and so on. And again, there's so little on FGMC, and yet we have over 100,000 survivors. So we know it's a Canadian issue, and exactly the same way that Parkinson's is, and why is it not getting the coverage? One of the reasons is, as, as you just mentioned yourself, is, is there's, there's confusion. People are afraid of being called racist and so on. And this is where the media has its biggest responsibility in my mind. We have to cover FGMC in Canada and we have to change the conversation to be talking about FGM-C as a human rights issue. We have to look at it from a gender-based perspective. We have to look at it as child abuse. And we have to highlight the gender inequality and discrimination that underlies the practice. So we have to kind of remove it from being talked about as a tradition, a cultural right that has gone on for decades, for centuries or thousands of years. It's true it's gone on for a long time, but what we have to focus on is that it is seen internationally and by the girls themselves as human rights abuse as child abuse, as torture. So I think that's that's where we need to have a, a lot of coverage because we have you know, other stories that we're not telling is that we have immigrants from 59 countries where FGMC is a longstanding tradition. 59 countries, imagine, because FGMC is, a, is an issue on every continent except Antarctica. But we also know girls are at risk 
it's another story that needs to be told. For example, in a study in Quebec of 120 members from 18 diaspora communities affected by FGMC, 73% of those 120 people thought girls in Canada were at definite risk of vacation cutting. If those stories are being told on a regular basis, the government would have to come up with some proper protocols to protect girls at risk. If those stories are being told, health departments across provinces would do more to support women and their needs. And we need to tell those stories from the point of view of the survivors themselves. We have to allow the women to speak up, to have their voices heard, and to be addressed in a very sensitive, trauma and culturally informed way. And when that happens, I think we will start seeing some changes in policies in Canada. And, you know, that really cannot come too soon. Thank you for highlighting that the Canadian government is not really taking much action in regards to FGMC and how there's a lack of coverage, especially in the media, because of this misconception of attacking one's culture. Rather, it's not attacking one's culture, but um, seeing such issue as a human rights issue. Yes, you know, you know, what's particularly tragic, I don't know if you're aware, but almost 25 years ago, um, the government actually came out with a report on FGM-C in Canada. They had been collecting evidence, testimonies, and so on from a working group for the previous three years. They came up with a report. It was an excellent report and had all kinds of recommendations. And it was at that time that Canada's law um, outlying FGM-C came came into place. Uh, So that report came out uh, a little while after the law um, came in. And then it was shelved and nothing ever happened. So to me, that is that is unconscionable and so tragic because the government has known for 25 years that this is an issue. They already had a report, they already had recommendations, and they didn't follow through on any of them. Mm -hmm. I agree. It is unfortunate that although the government and then subsequently the media, they have access to information and statistics, they still choose not to cover the topic of FGMC. And you're right in your earliest statement that we have to cover FGMC for the over 100,000 survivors that call Canada their home. And I know that you and your team at NFGM Canada will continue to do the good, good work to bring out the narrative. And Flourish is always honored to partner with the organization so that together we can raise our voices loud and proud and continue to advocate for more support for survivors that call Canada home. I couldn't agree more. You know, we are so delighted to work with you. And, you know, it does take all of us to raise our voices and not be afraid. Uh, There is a lot of backlash sometimes against activists and people who want to speak out. And we just have to support each other um, in those times so that the voices of the children and the girls are heard and girls are protected and survivors are supported. Yes, most definitely. And also to continue to put survivors at the center and the core of the activism and activities that we continue to do. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. In this thought-provoking episode, we've taken a deep dive into the complex relationship between media portrayal of FGMC and its impact on public perception and policy. Thank you, Giselle, for joining us today. We've explored how the media can both shape and reflect societal attitudes towards FGMC and truly any other sensitive topics surrounding women and girls. 
and with its power to inform, educate, and impact harmful stereotypes and misconceptions. We've heard about instances where the media role has led to increased awareness and action and also leading to policy development. But we've also heard about how the media's role has hindered progress, mainly through their lack of coverage. As we conclude this episode, we invite you to reflect on the impact of media in shaping your own perceptions and opinions about FGMC. Together, we can continue to advocate for balanced, sensitive, and accurate media coverage that contributes to the eradication of harmful practices and the protection of human rights. Join us for our next episode as we explore another critical topic that impacts our world.